We have missed you the last two weeks and we are very glad to be back. Uh, thanks to all of you who served and used your gifts willingly and freely and even at the last moment. Uh, everyone is valued deeply uh, in this body. We're grateful. Let's pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Like you, I've been reflecting on the recent events in Texas. Frankly, I've only been able to take the news in small doses because the details and the reality of it is just too horrific to bear. But when I do ponder it, I hear a question, the age-old question, uh, that many from the outside of the Christian faith have posed to those of us on the inside. Where is God when tragedies like this happen? In my early 20s, I didn't let this question bother me very much. And I adopted the typical ancient or medieval approach to answering such questions from unbelievers, which was... If you're asking that question, then you're a foolish numpty who deserves help. You know, some of you have read people like that. I'm paraphrasing, but not by much. As time went by, I began responding differently to the question, where is God when horrendous evils take place? Yes, I would say that's a good question. I don't have all the answers, at least not one that will satisfy you, but it's worth Asking the question, and it's worth ruminating on it for a long time. I've said that a number of times. I said that to my church when Sandy Hook took place. But maybe it's my age now, or possibly the pain we've experienced over the years that has elicited yet a new response. And these days, when I hear the question, where is God when Uvalde, Texas happens? It feels different. It feels more like I'm the one asking the question. Like it's in my head. It's not coming from the outside. I would love to give you a robust response that satisfies you completely to that question. It's beyond my ability today or any day. But I raise it because the location of the God that created the universe and purported to save the world through this man Jesus is at the crux of the faith. And we have to know, where is God? Does He hear me when I cry out to Him? Is He disconnected from my world in some heavenly place that I can't access or even describe? And if that's true... What use is he to me? If he's not here, how can my life get connected to his life? And if it can't, I mean, then why bother? And of course, if he's not here to alleviate the ills of this life and set things right, then does it matter that I'm even here on a Sunday morning? I've raised more questions than I can answer today. Last time we were together, a few weeks ago, I suggested that we should all cheer up because Jesus has gone away. And 
And he has. He's not here, at least not in the way that he was. Where did he go and where is he now? We know now that heaven isn't just the nether reaches of the universe. It's not like if we built a better spacecraft that we'd eventually get far enough to where we could see God. God dwells in his own space, and it's a space that isn't disconnected from this world, but it is distinct from it. We know this because when we want to know anything about God, we look at Jesus. And when we look at Jesus' resurrection appearances, when he finally possessed his glorified body, we note some curious realities. Jesus was visible. He ate. He could be touched. But at the same time, he wasn't confined by space, by our limitations like gravitation or gravity and matter. He appeared in rooms without opening doors, and when he ascended, he was in the clouds. So, heaven is that particular location where God dwells, and it must be space and time without the boundaries of space and time that we currently experience. That is where Jesus is. He has gone away to that place. He's close, but he's in his own space, a space distinct from ours, but crucially not disconnected from us. And last time we said that's good news. That he's there and not here. It's strange to say it, but thank God Jesus is gone. Because the ascension of Jesus verifies exactly what he had claimed about himself. That he is king of heaven and earth. Because of the way he lived, what he taught, how he died, that he's alive again. All authority belongs to him and to no one else. If the grave doesn't contain him, what in this world could possibly? Now, what I didn't say to you last time that I wanted to, but I, I shelved it for another sermon, was that the ascension verifies that Jesus is also priest. That he is king, but he is also priest. And we'll do that one one day because I get really excited about it and I start rambling and food's waiting for us and all of that. But Acts 2 now and Pentecost Sunday teaches us something else about our Lord. He's king, he's priest. Any guesses about the third? Prophet. That he is prophet. Mm -hmm. That he is prophet. But it's prophet with a twist. And I'll get to that in a minute. Yes, we should cheer up because Jesus has gone away. But at Pentecost, we get smacked in the face with the reality that we should cheer up because Jesus has not gone away. He is still here. In fact, in a sense, his presence has been infinitely magnified so that now he's more here than he was when he was here. And in the Bible... The presence of God is always the most critical issue for God's people. Is God with us? Will he go into battle with us, Israel would ask. The psalmist would often lament the silence and the absence of God. Will God give up on me? And will he leave us alone? 
When our church declines, has God abandoned us? See? And Jesus answers that question. Before he went back to the Father, he gave a very clear and direct answer to his disciples, something he didn't always do. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will, spend, I will send my spirit to you. Not simply the spirit or a spirit, just any spirit, but my spirit, the spirit of me. So that when you have the spirit, you have me. Just like Jesus could say to Thomas that in seeing him, Jesus, you could see the father. So it is with the spirit of Jesus. When you have the spirit, you have Jesus. Now, I'll admit, this isn't an easy idea to try to explain to anyone or even to get ourselves. And you can kind of feel Luke grasping for words and images that fit or make sense of the madness on that Pentecost Sunday. Tongues of fire landed on everyone without discrimination. Okay, right? <laughs> The Spirit of God filled them, Luke says, which means something. And the response, the response of those people who had just shown up for a run-of-the-mill, traditional Jewish feast day, the response was an ecstatic expression of multiple languages and multiple un or miraculous understanding of all of those languages, even if those languages had previously been unknown to them. It was bizarre, to say the least. So bizarre that observers assumed everyone was drunk. By the way, did you get Peter's explanation? I've always found that hilarious. They're not drunk, it's only nine. You know, for the Baptist, okay, I'll stop. Such a weird scene. It isn't the one that I would record for posterity. Have you ever clicked a church's website and you see the heading, Our Story? You, do you ever read them? They said, here's how we got started. Here's when we built our building. This was our most important pastor. Here's the one we have now. Etc. <laughs> Etc. Et what you won't see. One Sunday, we had an international gathering of over 3,000 people. God showed up. We were all mistaken for being a bunch of drunks. It was awesome. No, that doesn't make it. But here we are. 50 days after Passover and Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples are doing what Jesus told them to do, hang around Jerusalem until my spirit shows up. How will we know, Jesus, that your spirit shows up? Oh, you'll know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. That possessive term again. Not a witness. Not the witnesses. You will be my witnesses. My life in you. My spirit with you. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, when you speak, I will be speaking through you. 
You remember when the disciples said, Lord, is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom post-resurrection prior to ascension? Is now the time, Lord? What was his answer effectively? No, you are. And he left. And Jesus is gone and yet he is not. He is not here and yet he is. True enough, his resurrected body is absent, but now his spirit is present to the world, empowering all his followers to be witnesses throughout every corner of the known world. What would God's kingdom come to earth have been like if Jesus had remained? Have you ever thought about that? What if he had just stayed? The possibility of meeting or hearing God's voice would have been limited to Christ's physical presence on earth. But now, the life of God has permeated every corner of the globe because the Spirit of Christ is where? He's with us. He's with His followers. Jesus is here in us, His church, His sacrament, His people. Everything Jesus did while on earth, all of His power, all of His grace, every ounce of His ability to love His enemies, every powerful word He ever spoke or speaks now, all of it is given as gift by His Spirit to you. To His witnesses. I'll put it as plainly as possible. When you speak of Jesus... When you and I witness to the reality of the living God. When we refuse to gossip. When we're quick to forgive both those we love and those we don't. When we call other people to follow Jesus. When we speak truth and love. When we keep unity with our sisters and brothers in Christ. When our hope isn't contained in a political party. When we share the news that this man, Jesus, is the fulfillment of all we've been created to desire. When we resist the spirit of the age by praying in the spirit of Christ. When we do all of that, we are witnesses of Christ. And people are hearing God's voice and seeing the life of God. Right here. Right now. On earth. I'm not saying we become God. Just like Jesus has his own space, yet connected to our world, so we are filled by the Spirit, yet we retain our identity. But as we witness to Jesus, the Spirit takes those words, enlivens them, and he does kingdom kind of stuff in them and through them. Jesus. The prophet has unleashed his spirit upon us so that we are prophets bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. Staggering, overwhelming thoughts, right? Where's Jesus? Well, he's here with us in you. Stephen Haynes is a professor at Rhodes College in Memphis. He wrote a book, The Last Segregated Hour. 
in which he described the so-called kneel-ins that were focused on breaking down segregation in churches throughout the South many years ago. But Haynes focuses particularly on those kneel-ins in Memphis, a city tormented by racial strife even to this day. In 1964, students launched a campaign of church testings. White students paired with black students would visit both white and black congregations in Memphis to see what sort of reception they received. Brave, to say the least at that time. They would especially want to test whether certain white congregations would bar the blacks from entering for worship. The greatest resistance they found in Memphis was one church, I know this church, it's a good church now. Um, this one church was known to lean heavily to the evangelical side of the church culture. And the black and white pairs of students received different reactions at the various churches they visited. But it was at this particular church that they were met Sunday after Sunday by elders and deacons standing arm in arm blocking the entrance to the church. Can you even fathom that today. The students would approach, always dressed in their Sunday best, and they would kneel. They would kneel before the elders and deacons who were blocking their entrance, and they would just simply pray. And the pressure mounted through the prayers of those people. And with no end in sight, some started taking photographs of the white students and mailing the photos along with a letter to the parents. And the hope was that the parents would come down harder on their children for getting involved in protests and they'd tell them to focus on their studies, not get involved in that kind of thing. And Haynes writes this. A mother of one of the white students received a letter and photo of her son standing in the rain alongside an unidentified young black woman. And after receiving the photograph and letter, she wrote back to the sender. Her response was surely not what the person anticipated. She wrote, I'm so glad that you sent me the picture of Hayden and his friend attending a church service. This picture will very definitely be one of the most cherished ones in the photo album. And I expect he will show it to his children as they come along with a degree of justifiable pride. Certainly his father and I are proud of him. Not every young man is so courageously loyal to Christ that he is willing to undergo ridicule, abuse, and insults because of his Christian convictions. End quote. Pentecost has always made me a bit uncomfortable. And my guess is that might be true for some of you too. I am a respectable, fair-minded, educated, middle-class person with some American determination and some British sensibilities. Everything in moderation, as they say. Nothing too crazy, especially when it comes to faith. I just need enough faith to know that God is present when I need him to solve my problems or bring me some joy. 
And as I meander down the path of life, I need to be able to glance over my shoulder and spot Jesus within shouting distance. Right? Just to be sure I'm not on my own. He doesn't need to get too close. Just within reach. So when I hear the story of the Neolands, and when I hear the story of Pentecost, well, God has gotten uncomfortably close. It sounds like His Spirit invades us and turns us into loquacious prophets who dare to speak the words of grace and love and unity and hope and forgiveness and truth and eternal life. I'll admit, it's disruptive. The people on the day of Pentecost were amazed and perplexed, Luke says. And that's what happens when the Spirit of Christ fills His people with words and power. Well, strange things happen. Jesus has not gone away. He's here in and with His people doing bizarre things that tend to turn the world upside down and to bring His kingdom to earth. Wow. I wonder what would happen to our world if God's people opened themselves up to the power of Pentecost. That would be a sight to see.